Welcome to BIV Today, or the daily podcast from the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. The rapidly developing field of digital health data is an exciting sector of innovation and investment, but there remains some obstacles to success, and there are some unique issues perhaps facing us in the British Columbian economy that bear noting. Michael Bidou joins me now. He's an authority in the field. He's the CEO of the Interface Health Society, a not-for-profit digital health technology accelerator based here in Vancouver. Michael, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Kurt, for inviting me. Happy to be on your show. Uh, try to uh, describe for me the range of technologies we're talking about here. It's pretty vast. Yes. So, I mean, what we're talking about uh, when we uh, refer to digital health is really the digitization of uh, health, wellness, and healthcare. Uh, in other words, uh, everything that has to do with information uh, that we can digitize through smart devices, whether it's a smartphone, a smart car, a smart home, uh, a smart environment for that matter, uh, whether we're using artificial intelligence to do that uh, or technologies like virtual reality or augmented reality for people who suffer of chronic pain or PTSD or even autism, for example, or uh, we're talking about uh, uh, this, this super convergence of uh, technologies uh, that go anywhere from uh, wireless uh, uh, technologies and wearables to big data uh, to uh, even video games for health to social networks for patients uh, to uh, personalized medicine as in genomics. How we, do we use that kind of data to look at preventative, precise, and uh, personalized medicine. So it's a, it's a massive superconvergence of multiple technologies who, for the first time in the history of humankind, are kind of uh, getting together to solve very serious issues in our health and healthcare uh, for you know, our children, for ourselves as adults, uh, for uh, the elderly uh, in, in the world, as you, I'm sure you know and, and your listeners uh, know, uh, the uh, aging population uh, is going to hit some, uh, you know, uh, huge marks uh, now in Canada, about 25-26% of the population will be 65 years and older in the next uh, 15 to 20 years. So there's a, a lot of uh, you know opportunities and unmet needs that digital health can solve. Yeah. So uh, it, it, in the it, end, I think when we refer to digital health, we're really what we mean by that is the empowerment of patients, of consumers, of citizens kind of take care of their own health with the use of technology and, and smart technologies as opposed to relying 100% on uh, physicians, on nurses, and, and others around them. So it's really for the first time in, in the history where uh, we ourselves will be able to take care of our health, uh, measure uh, the health outcomes and all that. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that the, the physicians or nurses will disappear. On the contrary, I think they will use the data to help us uh, take care of our own health. So there's kind of a long definition of digital health. Yeah, fine. Uh, it can seem sometime that technology is simply there for technology's sake. In, in this case here, there are some real problems that this, this field can solve. What, what, how would you characterize those? Well, uh, I think, you know, the uh, digital technologies uh, are supposed to disrupt the status quo. And uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, for cancer patients, uh, it takes a long time for a skin cancer patient, for example, 
maybe weeks, sometimes months to figure out what's going on. Whereas with a simple digital technology like a digital imaging, you can take a picture with your iPhone and you can ask a specialist to look at it right away. Uh, Yesterday, for example, at our summit uh, in Vancouver, we heard that, you know, that cost would be about $50 versus, you know, the same patient uh, uh, dealing with that issue uh, three to six months later, who eventually would cost the healthcare system about $160,000 in care. Hmm. So, I mean, that difference is just unbelievable. So the promise of digital health technologies are that, you know, not only that they're ubiquitous, they're faster, they're cheaper, uh, they can actually deliver better health outcomes in, 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 in a shorter t- amount of time. So in a way, uh, you know, the problems that uh, are facing us today as a healthcare system in Canada uh, are massive. Uh, as you, I'm sure you know, the healthcare system in uh, British Columbia, for example, uh, spends about $19 billion a year. Uh, that's about 43, 44% of the budget. Uh, we can definitely look at how can we use that kind of money to implement innovation. And in projects that can actually take days, weeks, maybe months to uh, implement, as opposed to years and hundreds and, or billions of dollars in, 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 uh, yeah. in kind of projects like, I know, Cerner or other uh, big uh, uh, technologies. So, yeah, yeah you, you I pointed. Think there's, there's a lot of promise on the digital health to solve the kind of problems that we have today. So you posed the the notion earlier that uh, that this is not a matter of um, replacing the practitioners in the field, the professionals, and all that. How how are they greeting this era though of of having um, perhaps the patient uh, with a little bit more information and uh, and and you know not necessarily having a that kind of old style bricks and mortar infrastructure there in order to uh, in order to treat. So uh, we uh, have looked at uh, quite a bit of research on uh, the productivity and uh, professional satisfaction by family doctors, specialty doctors, nurses, even medical students. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that uh, there's a tremendous frustration uh, in the healthcare system itself because uh, of the you know length of time that it takes to adopt some of the those technologies that can help physicians uh, specialists nurses and others you know uh, allied healthcare professionals for example uh, to take care of uh, people through new technologies i think uh, in in uh, you know anything we can do to empower not only the patients with the right data and all that but uh, you know obviously physicians who know what they're doing uh, with relevant data, uh, with, uh, you know, genomic information, for example, uh, from the birth to, you know, the time of uh, uh, the end of life, for example. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things we can do preventatively. And as you know, it's, it's better to spend $1 today in prevention than $10 later uh, in, uh, in uh, healthcare, in intensive care or acute care. About 85 to 90 percent of our budget actually goes into chronic diseases and, and uh, acute care. And so anything we can do on the preventative side and to help people change their behavior, uh, I think it's all uh, good news uh, for, for the population. It's good news for uh, our communities, for our families, for our friends, and in the end, for the government. Michael, when um, you talk about empowering the patient, um, I can see where there will be 
so many people who uh, have a familiarity with technology who will take advantage of this fully, and and yes, uh, obviously re- reduce healthcare costs and and provide better outcomes. What do we do though about those who may not be as technolo- technologically sophisticated? How do they uh, how do they fit into this field? Well, that's a good question, uh, Kirk. I think um, you know these days uh, even the elderly, like 70, 80 year olds, uh, we have seen uh, when the iPad, for example, came on market, uh, on the market uh, five, six years ago, we have seen children like, you know, the 30, 40 year olds buying iPads for their parents Mm -hmm. as Christmas gifts. And the adoption was quite significant. You know, the the usability of those devices, uh, you know, allow a 70 or 80 year old uh, person to actually deal with technology in a very easy way. there's lots of interesting applications that are not for the technologically savvy people, but rather for, you know, seniors or even, you know, people who suffer of uh, uh, various uh, mental health uh, diseases and all that. So there's, I think the, uh, the solution there is uh, for those uh, innovators to understand truly uh, how to build technology that can actually help anybody uh, from, uh, you know, remote areas like indigenous people to, uh, you know, uh, the poor in, in certain areas of Canada or in the world. So I, those technologies do exist and they don't have to be necessarily on smartphones. They can uh, be used, for example, as text messaging for alerts. We've seen very interesting technologies developed in Canada or in the United States, for example, that uh, help uh, uh, pregnant women in Africa or people who suffer of AIDS uh, or people, for example, who uh, are looking uh, to buy uh, uh, the real drugs to treat themselves uh, through text messaging, which mm-hmm. is a very simple, easy technology yeah. that I think everybody can use. And as you know, in Canada, about 90, 95% of the population, we all have smartphones uh, regardless of the age. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, with a, a bit of a paradox that we have in our society around the data that gets produced uh, by um, by all of this. Um, in, on the one hand, people are very concerned about their privacy in this age, at least they seem to be. Uh, and yet the studies have all demonstrated that people are also very frustrated that their health data is not adequately shared. Uh, but are, are we getting closer to understanding how to, how to balance these interests? Well, that's a, a very, very good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, we had the same concerns in, in 1996, 1997, for example, 20 years ago, when the online banking systems came out on, on the market. Uh, you know, we believe that, you know, people have so many concerns that the online banking and then mobile banking would never take off. Or uh, the reality is that today, everybody, almost, you know, 100% of Canadians are using online banking. Uh, regardless of the age. So uh, it's one of those technologies that needs to prove itself that it has value. And then I think it's more a matter of, you know, what is the value of my personal health data to the healthcare system and to whoever I give the permission to use that data? I think there's a misunderstanding uh, in the market of who owns the data. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, if you ask the government, the government will tell that they own the data. And of course, they do own some of the data. But your personal health data is yours. That's at least my opinion. Uh, we should own our own data. 
and we should give permission to whoever we decide to give permission, whether that's, you know, a close relative, your husband, your wife, your children, uh, your, uh, uh, you know, uh, caretakers, uh, your family doctor, and so on and so forth. But I think there's this misunderstanding about uh, privacy and security uh, on the one hand, and then I think the misunderstanding of the fact that, you know, the, when you give permission to someone or some organization, that permission is not forever and it's not for everything. It, the permission needs to be uh, designed for very specific purposes, uh, and it should be limited time offer, for example. Like, I'll give you permission to use my data, look at my data for a very specific reason. Uh, and if you're my family doctor or whoever, maybe you're my oncologist, absolutely you need to have access to that data. But I think the education to uh, consumers and patients is not quite there yet. I don't think we're doing enough of a good job at explaining uh, what uh, we can do with data, that data, uh, how we use big data. Like in Canada, uh, for example, or in BC for that matter, Genome BC has done a lot of work in, in the space for the last 17, 20 years. And still, I think uh, Canadians or British Columbians don't understand what is happening with that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably less than 100 people uh, who were part of a, a project called Understand Your Genome by Illumina in San Diego, here in BC, uh, who, who jumped on that project. So I think the 98, 99% of the population doesn't quite understand uh, what that data is. I'll give you another example. There's a uh, spin out out of UBC with Dr. Martin Dawes, uh, who is the head of uh, family practice there. He created a company called Gen XYS to actually deal with medical errors in Canada. Oh, yeah. In Canada, there's about 25,000 uh, Canadians uh, who die every year because of medical errors. Well, a lot of that is happening because uh, we're giving uh, people the wrong drugs. And so that's one of the ways where we can use big data to actually solve, you know, some of these uh, uh, very hard problems to solve that no physician can really solve. We need computers and algorithms to to solve those uh, massive problems. And that's where, again, digital health can play a, a tremendous role. In the last few minutes we have together, Michael, I want to talk about where the investment is flowing and, and how successfully it's flowing and where it isn't, and what, what are some of the impediments toward it. In general, this is an exciting field. It would have to be of great attraction to investors. They would see that this would have uh, significant economic consequences for society down the road. Um, where, where are the successful points right now, and, and where are some of the struggles? Well, uh, I'm glad you're touching on the investment, because uh, without money, obviously, we can't do much uh, in, in this space, uh, the good news is that not only in Canada, but in, uh, in the United States and in the world, uh, the investment in digital health has grown significantly. Like, for example, in the last uh, seven to eight years in the United States, more than $13 billion uh, have been invested in hundreds and hundreds of digital health startups. So there's a, a tremendous uh, you know, investment in, in that field. In Canada, we have seen in the last three years uh, investments from the government, from healthcare authorities, from uh, you know pharma companies, uh, even universities in accelerators. We probably have now about uh, 10 to 15 uh, digital health accelerators in Canada. 
we have seen the growth of the industry going from uh, no or very few uh, wireless health, mobile health companies to more than 1,000, maybe 1,500 startups in digital health in Canada. In BC alone, um, we have seen in 2009 about 20 or so uh, digital health companies. Now we have more than 150. So there's investment uh, happening from uh, organizations such as National, uh, National Research uh, Council, uh, the Industry Research uh, Assistance Program. There's uh, money coming in from a few venture uh, capital uh, firms, whether they're based in BC or Ontario or Quebec or Alberta for that matter. So there's uh, investment happening. But I think what's, what's important is we have seen in the last two to three years, even the government itself to start looking at uh, investments in the field. We've seen the, the government of Ontario creating a fund in this space. We have seen the, the BC Ministry of Health uh, looking at uh, uh, innovation. So finally, after, I don't know, nine, 10 years of discussions in this field, we have seen finally the, the government paying attention and uh, I think we'll see more money uh, coming into the field. So that's the positive side. The uh, not so positive side is that Still, the healthcare system, it's very averse uh, to risk and innovation adoption and all that. But that's, I guess, just a natural, normal thing. Uh, it's up to us, the startups and the entrepreneurs, to convince the system that uh, what we do has value, uh, can reduce cost, can improve uh, health out outcomes, and uh, we can actually uh, help make the whole healthcare system more sustainable in British Columbia or in Canada for that matter. Well, uh, my last question then has to do with, and it's a parochial one, it's, it's what are the opportunities for us here in BC in this space? Where would you see our priorities over the next uh, three to five years here? So I would start with, uh, you know, I mean, there's a couple of areas where I think uh, we uh, are very good at here in BC and we can, uh, again, use the strengths that we have on the technology side. Mm -hmm. so that we can create, uh, uh, you know, relevant solutions uh, to very real market needs. Uh, for example, uh, in the aging population, uh, we have, uh, you know, people who suffer uh, of Alzheimer's or dementia or uh, chronic diseases. There's a lot that we can do for these people to uh, start treating them at home. So what we have seen, uh, not only in BC, but in the world, is this a decentralization of uh, digital health solutions that go to your home to actually take care of uh, your parents uh, at home through remote uh, technologies. So I would say that's definitely one sector that we should uh, look into and, and pay attention to. There's a lot of uh, opportunities right there. Um, I would say that in the uh, mental health uh, for the young people, uh, the opioid crisis uh, Obviously, uh, it's, it's something that it, we have to do something about it. And we can use uh, uh, virtual reality uh, therapies, for example, that uh, can deal with uh, uh, chronic pain and PTSD and, and uh, a lot of uh, mental disorders uh, to start treating uh, the young uh, uh, patients and, you know, do that at home in a very, you know, uh, casual way, if you like. Uh, so that it's you know affordable, that is uh, uh, convenient, that is affordable. Uh, so definitely, uh, those are at least two of the of the the ways that we can uh, look at uh, uh, you know technologies. I'll give you a quick example. In in British Columbia, uh, people who suffer of chronic pain are waiting 
for two to three years to see a pain specialist. Mm. Uh, to me, that is insane. Yeah. I think the, the consequences, you know, uh, in the workplace, uh, in a family, in, in your own family, in, in the community, to have someone in pain to wait for two to three years to see a pain specialist, that, that's, to me, that is kind of crazy. And so we need to solve that problem. And I think we have uh, the, you know, technology can help do that, can reduce the wait times and actually scale uh, some of these technologies. And we can help people at home uh, to deal with, with that kind of, uh, you know, condition. Michael, it's been a really interesting conversation. I could go on for a lot longer. I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Kirk. And uh, yeah, uh, I appreciated the opportunity to share some of our thoughts uh, with uh, your listeners and uh, readers. Thank you. Michael Badu is the CEO of the Interface Health Technology. It's a not-for-profit digital health technology accelerator based here in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.